Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dumb Dumbest Podcast, a music industry podcast where everything is terrible and the house is on fire. I'm Matt Bacon here with my beautiful co-host, Curtis Stewart. Nope. No. <laughs> Ify. I was in the zone and I forgot who my co-host was. Amazing. That's okay. There was definitely a couple of podcasts while you were on vacation that I, Curtis and I had to start over several times because I was like, you're listening to the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast. You're listening to the Ghost Cult Podcast. I don't know what podcast you're listening to. Rachel Maddow. You're, you're listening, you're listening to some people say some words. Basically. That's what you should rename this podcast. White dude saying words. Ugh. <laughs> anyway. Keith, what is our topic for today? We're going to talk about bands and how often you should play your local scene. Absolutely. And this is because I made a video that got a fair amount of traction. So we figured we would explore it in podcast format. Makes sense. The video is in the show notes, by the way. It will be. Um, anyway, so all this to say, Keith, first of all, okay, so first of all, just because this was a question that came up, what defines your local scene? I think what defines your local scene is for, you know, obviously as big city guys, a lot of people sort of glamorize because we have a plethora of places to play here that there aren't still small local venues and DIY places and house shows and things. But outside of the microcosm or the macrocosm of the giant city, anywhere town, USA, anywhere town in the world, your band play has to, you know, if you're a band that plays out, unless you're sort of a, you know, one person bedroom thing, uh, if you want to play gigs and play out, you have to, Play locally, play your scene, play local shows, play semi-regularly, at least, I think. Yeah. But 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 what is a local scene? Like 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 because I guess the question is like someone was like, I'm in Denver. Is Boulder part of my local scene? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think you know the surrounding 25 miles around your town is is local. Something you can drive to in an hour. Anything farther away than that's Two a good rule. is a, a different city, a different area code, potentially not your hometown crowd, not your, all your band girlfriends and boyfriends and partners are not coming to the show. Your best friends are not there every night getting in free, sneaking in like assholes when they should be paying. So yeah, when you have to play in front of different people, it's not your local scene. Well said. Now, and one way to look at this is just how does the audience behave? So, you know, no one, if, if, no one is going from Denver to Boulder for an audience of four, or for a bill of four locals, but people are going from Boulder to Denver for a bill of four locals. That right? is an excellent way to look at it. You know, so, so look at the behavior of the people around you, how they're interacting with the community, and you can kind of figure it out from there. At least that's what I do, right? So it's like, New York, you know, no one is going to go to Newark for a show from New York. But people come from Newark to Brooklyn for shows all the time. That's how you should kind of be viewing it, I think. Yeah, I think the Newark, uh, I've been to Newark twice for shows, and it was the giant arena stuff like Judas Priest. Yeah, that doesn't even count. TSO. Um, now, okay. So now that we've established what local is, 
And I do think an hour drive is a good rule of thumb in most cases. Yeah, or to, let's say, let's be generous and say that there are some rural places that people listening to this podcast live in. Sure. Other countries where things are a little more spread out for our friends in Europe. And let's say an hour and a half to two hours is not your local area. But again, it's a question of, do people from city A go to city B for shows ever that aren't big arena shows? And if the answer is no, then it's a new market. Right now, yeah. um, you know, people from Baltimore go to DC for shows. People, people from Baltimore do not go to Philly for shows. Usually, unless it's a big show. Um, this all being said, how often should you be playing in that 25 mile radius? Well, that is a great, uh, this, is, this has been the crux of uh, your week, your awesome viral video, your blog over at Ghost Cult Mag, shameless plug for the Bacon Bloody Bacon weekly blog, which everybody should be checking out for that knowledge drop from Matt. And um, I think if your band, again, depends on your goals and what kind of band you have, but if you're the average band and you, you have aspirations of playing beyond your city, I think, I think every six to eight weeks is probably a good rule of thumb. You may have a different take, but I personally would spread it out a bit because I feel like you really can't know your value if you play all the time in front of your friends and girlfriends and buddies and your dog and the bartender who knows you. I think if you're not getting out of your comfort zone, you really don't know your worth as an artist. But that's just my high-minded thing that may just be specific to my experience. I think actually six to eight weeks is way too frequent. Awesome. Um, I think, I think once you're established, okay. So, well, so first of all, there's two different rules. I think early on you should be playing a lot to get your name out there and for people to see that you're, and to get good live and for people to see that you're a thing. Would you agree with that? Very much so. But I really think that people can't get used to you or people can't start to want you if you don't spend more than three months not playing shows you know like i think you should be playing at most four local shows a year because once you play more than that people start to expect it and that devalues the whole thing you know it's like i feel like every two months like that's you can miss that but if it's like oh if i miss this i'm gonna have to wait another three months that's quite the uh that's quite the ask Right, so no. we're doing the deprivation strategy. I think, I think, well, it's not deprivation, but it's just making sure each show is an event. And on top of that, I think um, what's important is to make the shows feel like events. So, you know, I think Kings Destroy do this really well. I think their last show, they partnered with um, a pedal company. The show before that, they partnered, you know, they had a bunch of, like, guitar pedals, um, on like a stand for people to check out the show before that they partnered with a brewery and had like a special drink thing. So that's what I see as working. Nice. You know, and, and I think just good. I said, shout out to Kings destroy. Yes. And I think that just building that is really important, you know, building that, uh, sense of want and playing one, you know, but so why do you say every eight weeks? Well, I think again, different, it's hard to sort of uh, strategize without 
you know. A sure, and, and different bands are different, and there's definitely right. cities where there's fewer bands to go around, so you can get away with playing more. See, I'm the. I come from the opposite school, which is I, and I, I definitely agree, I agree with you. I think actually spread out is probably the right way to go, and I think that my personal i think if you want to be i think about like bands that came from local scenes to become national bands touring bands and i think if you have a presence in your hometown like i think of like the most prominent bands in new york city and i think that they play every two to maybe two to three months probably not every two months so six weeks is probably too too few you're right too uh too frequent but um I think two to three months is probably a little more, you know, that's probably again in line with your three to four times a year. Um, it's funny enough in my back, back, back in the day when I played out my first band that was semi-successful, we were the house band at a local venue. So we literally played every week or every other week without fail, but we didn't rehearse that much. So we literally would roll in. We treated every rehearsal and every show like we were playing at madison square garden so it was a fucking spectacle we jumped around at rehearsal we performed at rehearsal and then we took that into our shows and That's we were awesome. very, we were very we had set lists but we were very loose we might break out a cover out of nowhere not planned um i mean and then for like our record release show which is coming up on the 20th anniversary in march which is crazy for me of that band um terrible and luckily at a print album but um we uh we then like really like scripted our our release show as like a big big thing with a whole introduction and a whole you know a whole kit and caboodle but we that was my philosophy was like the kiss model work 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 and if we weren't playing somewhere nearby why not and then we kind of covered the tri-state area and that was really the best we ever did um, we didn't well, get any further, but that was I us. think the issue with that model is just that people have so many other entertainment options now. Right. That, you know, like it used to be like, I remember looking at, there was a tour, uh, I think it was Exploited did in the UK where they played literally like 30 shows. Mm. Like I have no, you could never do that anymore because people have so many other entertainment options. You know what I mean? Like if they're, you know, the Exploited can now play five shows in the UK. And like, and it's not a question of like, oh, well, the exploited were more popular than, than they are now. Cause like, even like popular bands, no fucking popular band is playing 30 shows in the UK in 2020. I know. You know what I mean? Like, there's just more, there's just more entertainment options. There's just not the need for that anymore, you know? And yeah. so that's also a big part of it is like. I've talked before on this podcast about having to be better than my average 7.5 out of 10 night, you know, with my guitar and baseball and my cat. Like, you've got to be better than that. And that's hard because I like my guitar and baseball and my cat. <laughs> right. Phillies, Yankees, World Series maybe in 2020. We'll find out. Oh, Matt God. I would, I, would, I would hide my face in shame. <laughs> You'd have to because the Yankees will win. I know. But um, let's, let's touch on something. So you talked about Kings Destroy – very innovative, awesome, progressive, forward-thinking, nice job. If you can't hook up those relationships, how do you make your show feel like a happening, an event? If, it, you know, if it's not dependent on some cool giveaway or partnership or your own little craft beer, what else can you do if you're a local band 
to make your show super special beyond the, hey guys, we're playing at the local bar. Come out, please show up early and see all the bands. But you should always show up early and see all the bands and stay till the end, you fucks. But anyway. <laughs> that feels like an attack on me personally. <laughs> no, well, I mean, like you may, you're fashionably on time or late, but I don't think it's on purpose. I think you're just busy. And, uh, and often, kind of you, Keith. oftentimes out to dinner with the headline band or something like that because it's a label thing. But like somebody's got to pick up the check. But like it's no band, bands can't afford to. So you do, which is nice. But um, to answer that question. It's hard what, being an impresario. It is kind of, I was going to use Svengali, but okay, impresario. <laughs> Fucking baby Clive Davis over here with his turtlenecks and rings. Um, what can a band do to set themselves apart without having, let's say they don't have the money or the ability yet to make those relationships? What can a band do? Let's throw out some ideas. So, okay. So I actually went to a show on Friday. Uh, Keith was at Heilung, uh, which was awesome, apparently. Um, and I've seen Heilung and I know they're awesome. Yes. Uh, you know, I saw them before they come to America because I think I'm better than you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, but the point you're also European and I'm not. So yeah, but the point being, aside from me being a dick, um, what I want to point out is I went and saw Tower and Mother Feather, Word. okay, who are two of Keith and I's favorite New York City bands. Fuck yes. Would you Would you agree with that? Okay. So now Mother Feather. It's a little more obvious because they're on Metal Blade through Blacklight, which is, you know, something I do. Um, and they've got, like, face paint and this huge elaborate stage show with synchronized dance moves. The whole works. And it's amazing. Like, it's, it's so fun to watch because it's, it's, you know, it's like girls and leotards dancing and, and harmonizing and guitar solos. And it's a glam rock show. Right? Keith? That, yeah, that it is. You know, and, a, and a great one. And, and that's one really good aspect. They're, they're very good at crafting. It, it's, it's a live... It's like that theater kid thing. Like it's a little more of an experience than just a show. Right? Because of the stage banter and the running makeup and... You understand what I'm saying? I do. And I'm gonna say, I will tell you, this is what's awesome about Mother Feather. I, and Tower also, but Mother Feather specifically, I have seen them play shows and they play very frequently with, there is no other band, certainly not in New York like Mother Feather and very few in the world really bringing it like they have been. Um, but I have seen them come out and do their intro to a completely confused and mystified crowd. And by the end of the show, the most staunch arms folded black metal and death metal guy is fucking elated and loving that shit. Absolutely. And that is the power of mother feather. They because are their live show is fun and immediately visually distinctive. Okay. Now tower is interesting because they're a little different tower are. I'm trying to think. The singer dresses up sort of like a 70s rock goddess, and that's very much her character, you know? And I think that really helps. But with them, they just embody that sort of classic sense of fun. And that's really important, right? Is that they're a fun, hard-hitting rock and roll band. 
and it's a pleasure to watch because you've got this girl in the leotard like just wailing and it's amazing because it's it feels like it's the 70s right because what they did was they found their aesthetic and then they just leaned the fuck into it and that's what you've got to do to make your show feel memorable and feel different is you find your aesthetic and then you just make it almost obnoxious and that's why people love tower and people pack out to see them because it's so 70s rock and roll and i think an important thing here is we're not just talking about being married to a genre we're not just talking about the bells and whistles of the physical act of we're talking about charisma and authenticity that's what yeah. these two bands have a fuck ton of a lot of Absolutely. fucks today in the podcast. A lot of fucks. A lot of fucks to give. And I'm going to give a lot more fucks before it's over. These two bands are phenomenal. I've only seen Tower twice, but they were both great shows. Mother Feather, I've been lucky to see, I think, four or five times now. Um, and I'm bummed that I had to miss them, but I sort of, again, I, uh, I had the previous commitment all locked up. And I will see them hopefully very soon. Yeah. And these are both bands who are local to New York, who play New York about four times a year. And. There's not a, any bells and whistles attached to the show. They just make the show fucking phenomenal. And it's clearly very rehearsed. And that's okay. You know, like, there's this, um, <clears throat> you know, it's called a show for a reason. Oh, that's a, there's your, your uh, Gene Simmons, uh, Neil Bogart, Bill Coin quote right there, huh? I mean, you know, am I wrong? You are not wrong. You know, and this is the thing, is I don't want to see stoner dudes doing what they do in their practice space, unless what they do in their practice space is what you outlined. Keith. Indeed. Well, that was, you know, I, again, that was my uh, personal experience, my personal kind of task mastery kind of thing. That's what I thought I needed to do with my band. Sure. In an age where email just barely existed and there was no social media, really. So that was a different time. Yeah, but, but this is the thing, right? Uh, I think another band who I always thought were interesting for this was Suicide Silence, who um, were famous for, pra for their practices would look like their shows. Like, that was part of the strategy of Suicide Silence in the early days was, like, we're going to run practice. Like, every, every practice, we have to play like we're playing a show. Word. And that turned them into, famously, one of the best live deathcore acts of their generation. You know Rip what I mean? Mitch. Rip Mitch. Yes. Uh, are you excited for the new Suicide Silence record coming out no. in a couple of months? No. That is outside <laughs> the scope of this podcast. The Ouch. point being, <laughs> if you want to grow your local draw and you've been at it for a while, if you're a totally new band... It's just a question of having a really fucking good live show that people are going to connect to, right? But if you're new to this thing, if you want to have a better draw, it's very simple. Or rather, if you're established and you're not having any success, if you want to grow your draw, it's pretty simple, I think, based on this podcast. It's just a question of restricting how much you play and not being at it all the time, not playing every rinky-dink show. And also having a live show that people fucking want to watch. Now, 
there's another side of this coin that I want your opinion on. Okay. Mm. Here's one of the arguments people use. They say, okay, yeah, but our issue is that we want to play with the bands who played with us when, when we were on tour and we want to help them. How do you counterbalance that? Mm. Uh, pick your spots. Depends on the band. Depends on the venue. Depends on the opportunity. You know, there's an opportunity cost to everything. Yeah. As a business, as a business. Like, oh, what is just, an opportunity cost just for the for the un, for uh, for the uninitiated? The opportunity cost is the value specific to you and your business goals uh, relative to is the, is the value of this to me and my bottom line worth it if I take this opportunity or I do not. There you go. That is a, there's a very layman's explanation because I'm high on codeine medicine right now <clears throat> for my ongoing illness and anyway. will not go away so as keith slowly dies coronavirus 2020 hell yeah um and my my take on it is that i i personally think any band who really succeeds like it's always having a side hustle to your side hustle and it's about being able and willing to help connect people in your city even if your band personally can't play the show you know if your band can't play the show for whatever reason there's no shame in that it happens but be transparent and then be as helpful as you possibly can fucking be, you know? Cause like a lot of times you can't make it happen for whatever reason, but this is why it's important to be connected in your scene. Cause there's probably a band just starting out. who would be grateful for the opportunity. There's probably a local promoter who would be willing to help out, you know, it's like, but you need to be connected in your scene so that you can talk to people and make it happen. If you're not connected, they're just going to be confused. You know what I mean? They're not going to be able to help you. So I just see it that way. You know who else can't help you? Epstein, because he didn't kill himself. There you go. This has been Dumb and Dumbest. Any final points, Keith? Epstein didn't kill himself. That's my there final point. Um, thank you for listening. Everything is terrible.